It's an all-timer of an episode with an all-timer of an interview. You don't want to miss this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Back again, episode number 201 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. Will is not here this week. He is off jet-setting in Las Vegas, Nevada. But don't worry. While he is an integral part of this show, he is not an integral part of this week's episode because before he went away uh, to Sin City, he did take care of business here uh, on the East Coast and on this show because we have a fantastic interview this week. What that interview is, as we mentioned in that introduction, is uh, one that I'm not sure we want to promote it on social media. I'm not sure if Ryan, Indie Ball Nation, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with him, uh, I'm not sure if it came up came out with his episode yet because I know I announced it there. Uh, but we have a very special guest this week. We have a guy that is a baseball lifer. He is a 12-year Major League veteran. He has played 1,200 games in Major League Baseball. He has spent the better part of the last two decades in independent ball, whether that be in Grand Prairie or Laredo or Sugarland or his current destination in Tri-City. Uh, that, of course, would be the manager of the Valley Cats, Pete Incavelia. He joins the show this week, and uh, that's the bulk of our show. That is essentially 100% of the show. It is 51 minutes of us just having a really very good conversation uh, with Pete. He goes into a lot of detail talking about uh, Kumar Rocker, talking about what the kind of player he looks for. He goes into a lot of detail on a lot of those more... Uh, I guess behind the scenes elements of being a manager, a lot like that. It is in some ways similar to interviews we've done with Anthony Barone or interviews we've done with Michael Schlatt in the sense of we ask kind of similar questions. But obviously when you have a guy like Kumar Rocker play for you uh, for under that cir- the circumstances that Kumar did, there's going to be different questions too. And obviously when you have a guy that's, you know, extremely accomplished in baseball one of the most accomplished people in the game on this level uh you're gonna have different questions for him you're gonna have very different answers to and there's a lot of really really good information and a lot of really really uh compelling answers uh, that I think you guys are really going to enjoy and so uh, obviously me and Will will talk about it a little bit more next week when he's here we have another interview with uh, the GM of the Valley Cats and their vice president too Matt Callahan that's going to be up next week we didn't want to overload this week's episode and as you guys kind of know we like to let each interview breathe the people are generous with their time with us we want to make sure that uh we do them the respect of making them the sole uh, person other than the two hosts on the show. I've just never really liked combining interviews. It just seemed a little disrespectful to me. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what you guys are here for is that Pete and Cavillia interview. So I'm going to throw it to that right now. Uh, it's 51 minutes. It's very good. And I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed doing it. So without further ado, here is our interview with Valley Cats manager... Pete Incavilla. We're back again with another edition in our long-running interview series. And this week, I'm very, very excited to introduce our guest. If you're a fan of independent league baseball in any of the three major independent leagues, this is a name you know in an interview you're looking forward to. Uh, with an introduction like that, there's only one guy could be, and that is Tri-City Valley Cats manager, Pete Incavilia. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm actually uh, just getting ready to hit the road. There's a Kansas City Royals uh, free agent uh, minor league tryout uh, on the 12th and 13th, and going to go see if I can go find some gym players, bring back Tri-City. Yeah, it sounds uh, like a fun time. I know you always find uh, the dimes in the rough. I mean, you found probably one of my favorite guys in independent league baseball. And I guess with that, uh, I'll kick it off with uh, a question on how you build your roster, because I feel like that's a natural jumping off point. And that obviously you have a lot of experience in managing in 
independent ball from Grand, Par Grand Prairie to Laredo to Sugarland and now to Tri-City. And I'm just wondering, obviously, each of those three leagues have differences. Uh, is there any sort of a difference in constructing a Frontier League roster that tends to skew a bit younger, maybe a little bit less experience, as opposed to those other leagues? Well, uh, to kind of break it down for you, we get uh, four veteran players, which is anybody over the age of 29 years old. And then we have uh, 10 experienced players, which is anybody with a year or more professional experience that's under the age of 29. So we get yeah. 10 of those. And then we get, we have 10 rookies. That's uh, 10 guys that don't have more than a year of professional experience or no professional experience. So, you know, when you go out and try and build this roster, it's, you know, the easy part is finding the first 14, you know, yeah. you can find, you know, double AA, A, triple A guys under the age of 29 and, find four really good veterans. It's, you know, what makes or breaks the season are those, you know, 10 young guys that can compete at the level of those same other 14 guys. So, um, you know, uh, when you build this roster, the hardest pieces to find are those young 10 kids that can play, you know, at a high A or double A level. Yeah, definitely. And I know in the past you brought in guys – uh, I believe Austin Klein was one of them that was one of those kind of younger guys. If I'm not mistaken, he's out of Wright State. And he he came in and he did a really solid job for you guys. And I'm just wondering, like, is there any particular programs or particular areas that you in particular really like the talent from that seem to be uh, rather good to you in the way of the players they, they have available? I'm sorry. I kind of missed that. Uh, are you asking about Austin? Or uh, I'm just asking, asking about... kind of in general. Like, if is there a certain area you like to scout in particular? Well, uh, area of the player or area of the United States? Uh, both would be, uh, if you could give me a little bit on both, it would be pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, I don't care where any player is <laughs> from. I mean, we bring them in from, you know, Dominican, Venezuela, uh, you know, Canada. I mean, you know, if they can play, we'll bring them in. Um, you know, the, the area doesn't really matter. Um, you know, a guy like, you know, for example, Austin Klein, who was really good for us, who decided to move on to his next career and, you know, got a really good job. I mean, you know, guys like Austin are what we're looking for, you know, uh, you know, really good, you know, uh, high level college players that, uh, you know, can command and, and, and throw strikes. I mean, that's the biggest problem we're having right now is when you, you find young pitchers, um, you know, them repeating going out and throwing strikes is, uh, you know, those type of players like Austin are few and far between. Yeah, definitely. I noticed uh, a lot of times when I'm looking through just the uh, the league pages and the transaction pages, you'll see a kid that'll have, you know, like 60 strikeouts and 53 innings, but it'll be accompanied with 50 walks so right exactly exactly i mean that that's the, that that's the hard part i mean you know there's a lot of guy you know you know everybody went you know to this drive line and you know everybody throws harder but you know nobody can command and control and locate anymore and um you know in order to win you got to be able yeah. to command your secondary pitches and you got to be able to command your fastball and on the on the inside and the outside of the plate. So, um, you know, finding young guys, you know, that, that can still pitch, um, is, is really the trick. And believe it or not, there ain't, there's not a lot of them out there because Major League Baseball, you know, all they're looking for are guys that, you know, are high velo guys that, you know, they so called call it carry, you know, where, where the ball rises a little bit, that's what carry means. And, uh, you know, and they're looking for guys that throw, you know, 100 miles an hour. So, um, uh, I don't, I think the art of, you know, your Tom Glavins or your Jamie Moyers or your Maddoxes, you know, guys that command, control, change speeds, locate, um, you know, that, the art of, that art of pitching, you know, hasn't been taught for a while because, uh, the, you know, Major League Baseball has kind of moved to this, you know, velocity, you know, uh, carry, spin rate and all that. So, um, you know, you don't want to bring guy. It's hard to bring a guy into the game if you, you don't know if he's going to throw strikes that day, you know. Yeah. Um, 
especially late in the game. You know, yeah, you got a guy in there who throws 98, but can he locate it and can he throw strikes or, you know, or, or we, or are we going to lose a, you know, turn a one run lead into a nine run deficit. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's why I'm out here early in January, and February to March, you know, trying to find those diamonds in the rough. It definitely is a different way of having to go about things now because of the, that preference on uh, on throwing hard, which is one thing when you're at an affiliated minor league level where it's like, okay, the wins are whatever they are. But on this level where winning matters, it's a totally different game there. And so with that, it uh, would I be wrong to say that there still is a large human element in scouting where you have to see the guy in person to see what exactly it is that uh, they do, what's their mechanic like, what's their demeanor like, as opposed to just looking at a page and saying, all right, he has okay numbers or good stat lines or whatever it may be. Yeah, I mean, you know, the numbers can lie to you. Yeah. You know, just like, you know, uh, analytics can prove that this guy can do this, this, and this. Well, you can take that, those same analytics and prove that he can't do this, this, and this. Yeah. So, you know, uh, numbers can lie to you, and... You know, I, I like a lot of the things analytic brings. I think there's some really good things, things that you can look at and go, wow, you know, this is nice. But for me, analytics analytics can't measure a man's heart yeah. and desire to compete, to show up and try and, you know, yeah. make himself a better player every day. You know, um, when he gives up a home run or he strikes out, you know, how's his next at bats? You know, how, how, do, you know, how does it affect the next hitter when he's on the mound? You know, those are things that are intangibles that are really important to a winning team. Yeah. And you can only see that, you can, you can only know that if you see them. So, you know, like I'm saying, I'm loading up and yeah. getting ready to go, you know, yeah. try and find some of those guys that, you know, that play the game the right way, you know, that don't take any pitches off, compete, show up and work and want to get better. That's those intangible things, like I said, you know, um, uh, I always like to see a guy, you know, when you hear about a guy and how great he is, I want to see, I would much rather see him be terrible than be good. Yeah. Because you can see how he reacts to adversity. Yeah. And, uh, And that's important to me because in this game, you know, guys that can block out the negative and continue to be positive and find positive things and keep competing and keep, you know, retain their confidence and not give up. Uh, or like I said, or, you know, uh, those guys are hard to find, man. They really are. They're, they're mm-hmm. hard to find those, you know, old school grinders compete, um, you know, willingness to, to do whatever it takes to help, you know, your team win and, you know, those intangibles you can't see in analytics. You have to go out and use your eyeballs for that. Oh, definitely, 100%. I know when we had uh, the Missoula manager on, Michael Schlatt, he was t- he was saying to us uh, how one scout that came to watch him when he was in either high school or college, uh, that he had a horrible outing, and the scout said, it's good that you had a bad outing while I was here, so we got to see how you were able to handle it. And then that team that the scout worked for later on wound up drafting him. So I, I definitely see that because, like you said, the mentality and the mindset that you have has to be just right to keep competing, keep fighting, and be able to handle those difficult uh, challenges that you're going to face across the course of not just a season but a career. So uh, on that note, I do want to bring my co-host Will into the conversation because I'm sure he's dying to get uh, a bunch of questions in here. So, Will, I'll, I'll let you take the floor for a little while here. Yeah, sure. Uh, and is a really fascinating discussion, I think, Pete, about the, the things that, that you're looking for, and in particular with uh, with young pitchers. And I actually wanted to ask about uh, one young pitcher in particular that you had last year, because it was a very unique situation with Kamar Rocker uh, pitching for you uh, in, in Tri-City last year. So especially in the unique situation in the sense where you have so many scouts that are there that are looking for more than new school things, combined with you looking for, hey, can he just get out? So I was wondering, uh, in his time with, with Tri-C, I guess, what did, what did you think of him? And, uh, just, uh, what have you, what were your overall impressions of, of how, of how Kumar is as a pitcher and what do you, what do you, what do you think he can be? Well, um, when Kumar got there, uh, the first thing I was really impressed with was his work ethic. Um, he had a plan. 
Um, and every day he had his day planned out, you know, whether it be his running or his exercises or his, it was a bullpen day or, um, you know, he was going to work on a certain pitch today. Um, his work ethic was off the charts. Um, so I knew I had something special, uh, just because of the way he went about his business every day. He had a plan. He wanted to be, he tried to become a better pitcher every day. He had something he was working on every day to make himself a better player. And those guys are kind of special, especially with elite talent. Well, you know, I knew he was a high velocity guy, um, you know, 96 to 98 and, you know, could command his fastball. What I didn't know was how good his changeup and his, and his breaking ball was. I mean, you know, his slider and his break, his changeup, he could throw it anytime. He could command it anytime and get people out. And, uh, once I saw that on the mound, I knew that, you know, being able to be a high velocity guy and throw his change, his secondary pitches for strikes that are both plus pitches that, you know, he was going to be difficult to deal with. Um, not just in a frontier league, but anywhere. Um, anybody that has that type of velocity and that type of command of his secondary pitches, you know, I could see why he was going to be a top five pick in the country. And I told people that from the first day I saw him is, you know, when you see that type of combination in a pitcher, um, you know, names like, you know, Roger Clemens come up or uh, Nolan Ryan or, you know, uh, yes, they threw hard, but, you know, you know, Roger had a great split and a great slider. He could throw it any time he wanted. You know, no one had a you know, great sinker. And, and a, you know, I mean, those guys had more than just a fastball. And Kumar's mound presence was great. You know, and I'll, I'll kind of give you an example of that. He um, uh, was per- cruising pretty, pretty good. Uh, I think his third start, he gave up a home run. And I saw... Uh, his competitiveness kick in. You know, all of a sudden his pitches got sharper. All of a sudden his velo went up. You know, um, guys that can change gears like that are special. And, um, you know, I think Kumar's going to have a long major league career and I don't know how they're going to use him as a bullpen guy or as a rotation guy, but he's going to be highly successful in the major leagues for a lot of years. Yeah, and that's and that's really fascinating because you know just of course you know me watching from afar like it looks like you know Kumar is that is that type of bulldog you've seen him throwing uh, all those all those big games of course in Omaha and I think you that when to touch on a point that you said uh, that you said you know a couple of questions ago when, when Nick was asking you as far as dealing with adversity that's always something I wondered uh, with Kumar because of course. In an ideal world, you know, he would have, whatever happened with, with the Mets happened, he would have signed, he would have been in the minors. But instead, you know, what, that didn't happen and he had to take a year off and then, uh, you know, didn't go back to, to Vandy and then essentially, you know, was, and then was pitching in the Frontier League. So did you find yourself like impressed with the way that, you know, he carried himself given those really, uh, those very odd circumstances and given the, you know, he could be at the end of the day, he could be a guy that, sits there and pouts and says, I don't want to be here. But how, how were you impressed by him, like, in his physique and how he uh, conducted himself? Yeah, I mean, you, when you talk about adversity, that 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 was, you know, right on the dot there. You know, I mean, he handled himself like a, a professional. I mean, you would have never known that, you know, he went through all that. And Matt said he had arm issues and you know, that type of adversity and not being able to compete and work on your craft for a year, um, I don't think people know how hard that is to rebound from that, from not pitching for over a year. And then, you know, now you're in the Frontier League and, and, and to, you know, get yourself motivated to pitch. Well, I, it didn't take much for Kumar to get motivated because – you could see his passion and his love for being on the mound. And uh, he was almost obsessed with it. He was the happiest uh, out of anywhere in the world he would pick. My guess is he would say being on the mound and competing and pitching and playing baseball. So, um, you know, that type of adversity, you could see it was just a blip on the radar screen for him. I mean, he 
he had a plan. Um, he was confident. He, he knew he had made, I mean, he knew he was good and he knew he was going, he's going to pitch in, in the major league someday. And, uh, you could see that, that, that didn't affect him very much. He had a little rust on him when he got on the mound, just like, you know, all, all pitchers would after, you know, that, that long of a layoff. But you could see him every time out, he got better and better and better and better. And, and, and that's, you know, that's because, you know, Kumar deserves all the credit. I mean, you know, he showed up and worked his tail off every day. And, you know, uh, anybody wants to take credit for that, it, it, it's all Kumar, man. I mean, he really, he really was impressive. It was great for him to be in a clubhouse and, have that type of guy, you know, rubbing elbows with everybody else because, you know, they're going to look at him and go, wow, look how hard this guy works. You know what I mean? He's just a great example uh, to have in your clubhouse. And he was a great leader on our clubhouse, too, for being a young guy. Yeah, and that, that's so fascinating to hear, just uh, especially from, from your perspective and how uh, carried himself, conducted himself. I guess I guess the last thing I wanted to ask on kind of on, on this topic is, you mentioned uh, how he how he was in the clubhouse. How do you think uh, with you know with all those scouts and scouting directors that that would be uh, that would be at games to to watch him pitch? How do you think uh, from your perspective? How do you think that uh, kind of did it impact like some of the other guys at all? Did it get them you know more excited, more jacked up, or did you kind of have to calm them you know calm them down and say hey like you're still going out playing your game and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of send that message early in spring training is, you know, I, I would ask these guys, how hard would you be working right now and how, how hard would you be playing if you were playing in the big leagues? And the reason why I say that is is because you should never change how you prepare and play this game no matter what level you're playing it on. Mm -hmm. um, you should be the same guy if you were in the big leagues right now and same guy if you were, you know, you know, playing in, in, in independent baseball. I mean, that should never change. And um, I don't think that, you know, the guys that we had in our clubhouse, you know, they, they were excited to be able to go out and play in front of 100-plus major league scouts and front office people. Um, but I think, you know, they played that way all year, you know. Um uh, it, it had a great effect on our players to answer your question. Yes. I mean, they, did they have a little more juice playing in front of those guys? Of course, you know, cause they want to get signed too, but I don't think that they really played any different, uh, than they did if we were playing in front with no scouts in the stands. We just had, you know, those type of character guys in our clubhouse, um, that, you know, played the game the right way every day, didn't take any pitches off, you know, grinded out their bats, you know, our pitchers grinded. Um, but yes, was there a little more juice? I think the fact that they had all these guys in the stands, of course, of course, there was a little more juice. And that actually, that, that actually leads into something I, I, I also wanted to ask when you, you talked about you, how you always tell guys, Hey, no matter whether there's like, 20 people in the stands and, and no scouts and, uh, or the, uh, the mob scene that was there for in particular to watch Kumar and a hundred plus scouts. And it shouldn't change how you prepare and how you get ready for games and how you handle yourself on the field, like as a professional. So I was wondering, like, as, and, and of course, not even just a, a tri city question because you've, you've managed so many, uh, guys with, with big league experience, uh, in, in, in Sugarland, of course. Uh, did you ever, how did you as a manager kind of try to combat when you're trying to sign a lot of those guys with, with big league experience and you know that can help, uh, your team win or maybe that are big names? Cause if there's, and something that we try to do on the show a lot is, you know, you try to kind of drum away at that stigma of indie ball because, I mean, we, we all know how talented these leagues are. You know, as a manager, how did you kind of try to combat that stigma? And was it hard for you to try and pitch to players, given uh, maybe some guys are saying, "Well, independent ball, I don't want to, I don't want to play independent ball." Yeah, you know, it, it, it's pretty common practice now. Um, for me, the first thing I tell these guys, and I'm gonna tell you, look, you know, if you decide to play any ball, this, this, this ain't, this is. This is not beer league softball. These guys can play and they're good and you better prepare yourself 
like you're going to go play affiliated ball in double-A AA or triple-A or else, you know, you're going to get exposed if you don't show up because these guys compete. The baseball is uh, really good in independent baseball and a lot better than most, you know, affiliated guys who have never experienced any ball uh, uh, really always struggle early. They always do because they feel like they can just show up and be better than everybody else because uh, of you know they were an affiliated guy and they figure out pretty pretty quickly that wow I better I better get going you know so it's pretty common practice for a guy that's been an affiliate ball who shows up an independent ball realizes pretty quickly that you know they 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 better they better get themselves going so um, you know to answer your question is. Is it hard to get guys here? Sometimes it is for several reasons. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, their agents telling them that they don't have to play indie ball or, right. um, you know, they haven't done their homework uh, uh, about how indie ball, you know, gets guys signed quicker than if you're sitting on your couch, um, you know, because uh, scouts – very rarely are going to sign guys that haven't played in, in a game. Most of the time, scouts will say, well, you need to go play. We need to see you on the field, you know. Um, so uh, it, it's hit and miss sometimes um, with players. Uh, some guys can't wait to come play indie ball, and some guys absolutely want nothing to do with it because they're uninformed and haven't done their homework. So – it, 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 it's, it's hard because there's a lot of good players, I think, that shy away from indie ball. And, you know, their careers go by the wayside because they hadn't played in a year or hadn't played in a year or two. And, you know, in this game, you know, if you're not honing your skills and 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 playing, um, it's really hard to get back in and get signed and get back in the affiliate ball. And I guess is. Uh, of course, and you have plenty of experience on the on the uh, on the other side as well. Um, you, um, as a player uh, in indie ball in the last you know the last few few years of your career, playing you know three years in the Atlantic League. So, what was your experience uh, like playing in the Atlantic League uh, or yourself as an as an independent league baseball player? Well, you know, back then, um, you know, there was a lot of ex big leaguers playing in the Atlantic League. I mean, a lot. I mean, it was, you know, Joe Klein did a wonderful job of, you know, selling to, you know, guys that had, you know, 10, 12, 14 years in the big leagues to go, you know, play in the Atlantic League. You know, Ricky Henderson played in the Atlantic League. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of names. Uh, Jim Larowitz, Jose Canseco. Um, you know, there was a lot of big name players that played in the Atlantic League. Um you know, back when I was playing in the Atlantic League, and I would have said that, I would guess that's, you know, early 2000s, you know, something like that, 19, yeah. 1999 to the early 2000s. And, and it continued that way for a long time. But, you know, here in 2023, I mean, I don't think you can tell you know, which team is an Atlantic League team or an American Association team or a Frontier League team anymore. Um, you know, you have, you know, several big league guys spread out through all independent leagues. You have, you know, AAA, AA guys spread out through, you know, all three independent leagues. Um, and, and, you know, the Pioneer League has come in and, and you know, is, is kind of mostly like the Frontier League used to be. You know, the Pioneer League's a lot of young guys. Um, but you know, you see big league guys, triple A guys littered throughout the Atlantic League, American Association, and the Frontier League. So, um, it's a little different, it's a little thinned out now. Whereas, you know, most of your big league guys, you know, would have said, you know, 98% of them were playing the Atlantic League. Well, you know, in 2023, you know, they're kind of littered throughout all three leagues. Before I, you know, throw it back to Nick, uh, when you played. Indie ball, did you know, like, as when you were playing that, hey, like, not just, not just, uh, coaching, but at some point, not just, I want to go into coaching, but I want to coach in indie ball or I want to manage an indie ball. Is that something you knew as a player? <laughs> That's kind of funny. I, 
I actually had no interest in ever coaching or managing <laughs> as a player. Um, you know, I, I, I had uh, my last year, um, I blew out my shoulder and I had shoulder surgery and, you know, um, I was told that, you know, my shoulder would never be the same. And so, you know, I basically went on to my, you know, second career and, uh, got a call from the manager of the Newark Bears. Tommy O'Malley was an old teammate of mine with the Rangers. And he, he, he said he needed something. And I told Tommy, I said, Tommy, I haven't picked up a batter ball in two years, man. I said, I, I just had reconstructive surgery on my shoulder. I said, I'm not even sure what I would do. And he just kept calling and calling. And, and finally, you know, Tommy really need me. And so I decided to go without knowing exactly what was going to happen or how it was going to be. And uh, turned out I played real well, and I ended up signing with the San Diego Padres. Um, and yeah. uh, that's where I retired in 2002 with the Padres. And then once that was over, I knew I couldn't, you know, play the game at that level anymore. So I kind of bowed out. And Mitch Williams called me, who was managing in Atlantic City, and asked me to be a kind of a player hitting coach and and I did it and uh I absolutely loved working with the players as a hitting coach and you know uh, I think it was a year or two later I I became the double A hitting instructor with the Detroit Tigers for a few years and um and then that kind of led into indie ball and I've been doing indie ball ever since 2007 so um it kind of led me here I, I never had any aspirations to be a coach or a manager I just kind of fell in love with it. Still love being in uniform. Still love being a part of the game. Uh, my real joy is working with players and helping them get better and watching them move through organizations and get into the big leagues. I mean, that's, you know, that's, um, uh, been my passion and my love and feel like the game has been really good to me. And I was able to do something I'd love to do my whole life. And if I can help somebody get to the big leagues, um, you know, that's my reward. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's so awesome. And you see so many guys that, uh, that, you know, that, that you manage that, uh, that are even back, uh, and that are even back in the big leagues now. So I know, uh, I know I've, and often I've had the floor for a while. So Nick, feel free to jump in here. If there's any things I'm sure that you want to get to as well. Yeah, definitely. That it's, the end of your answer there, Pete, kind of touched on one of the questions I wanted to ask, which was, you've been doing independent ball for some time, managing for some time, and I was just curious, is the feeling when you hear that a player's gotten their contract purchased, like recently, I believe it was uh, Brantley Bell got picked up by the Padres, if I'm not mistaken, and it, does that feeling when you hear that, okay, this guy's going to move on, he's going to get a chance to really chase his dream on a higher level, get a step close to the major leagues, is that feeling still the same after all the time that's passed? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that once that feeling passes, is probably the time for me to hang them up. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's why I'm in this game for guys like Brantley Bell, who, you know, are just, you know, terrific human beings, very talented. And for whatever reason, you know, he was with me in the Frontier League, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and trying to change the, you know, guys like Brantley is you have to change their mentality. You know, they, they've had, they've been beat down and told, you know, that they can't do this and they're never going to be good enough. You know, they can't, you know, they've been told repeatedly about how they can't do things. And, you know, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I kind of preach to them on what they can do and how good they are and try and build up their confidence. And Brantley Bell is a very talented player. I mean, he's offensively, he's very talented. Um, he's very athletic as a defender, runs really well, really high IQ, baseball IQ. Um, you know, Brantley Bell would have done good anywhere if somebody just would have provided a place um, where – it, he was excited and happy to go to every day. Um, uh, I think he got to a point where the game wasn't fun for him anymore. Um, 
he wasn't excited to show him the clubhouse and get on the baseball field because, you know, as an offensive player, you have to be able to deal with negativity. Yeah. And my big thing with my players is I keep, I always tell them, I said, you got to, you got to turn the noise off, man. Yeah. You got to turn the noise off and understand why are you here? You're not here because you're getting paid a lot of money. Yeah. You're not here. You're here because you love to play the game and you still feel like that you can play in the big leagues. That's why you're here. And you have to turn the noise off and create a uh, place where players are happy and they're excited about putting a uniform on every day and going out and doing something they love to do. And with Brantley, the reason why he had such a good year is because he's a very passionate very passionate about the game. He loves to play. Um, I just basically just told him how great he was all the time um, and told him what a fantastic player he was all the time. And, and I think that positive reinforcement from, from me or anybody, you know, unlocked his potential as a player. I mean, he destroyed the league last yeah. year. I mean, I mean, at all aspects. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he could have led the league in home runs, RBIs, and average. He could have won a triple crown last year. We just had Fipsy who hit 34 <laughs> bombs, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and drove in a ton of runs for us in the second half. But yeah. um, you just got to provide, you know, that chemistry in the clubhouse to where players bond and, and you know, change, you know, guys like Brantley that are highly talented and, uh, what what scouts call toolsy, you know, guys that can do lots of things to help you win a game, run, throw, hit, defend. Um, you know, those guys are fun because uh, it's never anything mechanical. It's just mental. You know, your approach to the game, your plan from the for the game, and and that doesn't start in the clubhouse. That starts when you wake up every morning, mm. and. Uh, can't wait to come to the ballpark and i i think you know tri-city and our owner you know doug and our president rick murphy and our gm matt callahan provide that type of place for players to grow and get better and the amenities are good and the housing's good and and you know they're really good baseball people and they understand that and I think that's why we get, you know, that, that's why I think Brantley Bell, uh, finally reached this potential as a player is because we provided a positive, safe place for him in our clubhouse and surrounded him with a lot of players that were like him. And, um, I think that's what we'll continue to do, um, is go out and find, try and find players like Brantley Bell and, um, you know, Brantley Bell's triple A guy with, you know, knocking on the door of the big leagues. And, yeah. um, just like I told all the scouts that came in that questioned Kumar, I said, this yeah. guy is going to be a top five pick and yeah. you're going to pitch in the big leagues. You know, I yeah. mean, just you, you gotta, you gotta reinforce what you see. And uh, these days, you know, lots of people are afraid to tell people what you think. Yeah. Um, I'm not. <laughs> Am I right all the time? No. But, you know, when I feel strongly about something and I feel strongly about a player, I'm going to let people know because that's my job. My job is I understand that nobody dreamed about playing indie ball. Mm -hmm. Guys dreamed about playing in the big leagues. And, you know, as much as I love winning and winning championships, um, I love just as much when players, you know, step on a big league field for the first time, too. Yeah, I, I imagine that the feeling of seeing them jump onto the field and get to realize their dream is just unmatched. And you talked a lot about building up the, the conditions around it, you know, having the, the support system around both from ownership, from the front office and in the clubhouse there. And it leads me to, to ask about your trip to Tri-City, how you managed to get to manage in tri-city because it seems like you made the decision that i want to be in tri-city so was that one of the major things that kind of when you start talking to them said i want to be a part of this organization because i see they have all the right pieces in place or was there something else that brought you to tri-city 
there's no question that it's the support system from Doug, Rick, and, and Matt. I mean, they are, I mean, you, you talk about guys with, you know, 20 plus years of baseball experience and seen it all and done yeah. it all, you know, I mean, it, it, and, and they're great. I mean, they really are. They're very supportive. They'll do everything they can for anybody um, they love the game. They're passionate about the game, and and they're baseball people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Rick Murphy's a very smart, intelligent baseball man. Matt Callahan is a very smart, intelligent baseball man. Doug Lang- Doug uh, uh, is is you know a very smart, intelligent. They know baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not just owners. They're not just presidents. They're not just GMs. They're not. Just, uh, you know, stadium operations guys and marketing guys. I mean, these are baseball people. And I love being around them because they're smart, intelligent baseball people. And they know the business of baseball. So for me, I've been doing this, you know, been in indie ball for 20 years. You know, Sugar Land was probably, uh, other than Tri-City, was probably... The same situation as Lotnick family, very smart, intelligent baseball people, and they get it. Um, they understand that they have to create uh, a culture that um, that is special for baseball players. And they understand that that breeds success. Um, and, and that's why I'm so adamant about staying there because – if anybody deserves a championship, it's Tri-City and their front office and their fans and their ownership. And, you know, we finished short, you know, game game out of the playoffs in 21 and a game, you know, a couple games out of the playoffs in 22. And you can make all the excuses you want on why and why not. You know, we lost players or this, this and that. But um, And that's why I'm loading up, you know, heading <laughs> towards Arizona to, Try to find us some players that'll be difference makers that hopefully help us win some games and win a championship and also get signed. Yeah, absolutely. There, and I imagine you're going to have a lot of the uh, the usual guys back too, guys that we've kind of associated as being your guys too, that have obviously done very well for you at every stop too. Say that again. I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, I, I was just saying. I imagine you're also going to have some of the uh, some of the guys returning too. Obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, we got a bunch of guys returning. You know, Pavement, you know, Pavement Parks is returning. Uh, I got a lot of guys returning that I thought would be signed. <laughs> you know, Joey Gonzalez is coming back, and uh, you know, Trey's coming back, oh, or closer, and Pipsy's coming back. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, McCusker's coming back. I don't know how he didn't get signed. Luciano, mm-hmm. uh, Cedo uh, Culver's coming back. Yeah. Um, you know, we got a really good nucleus of players coming back. You know, Brack's coming back. You know, one of our guys we counted on the bullpen and, um, you know, Ryan Williamson's coming back. So we got a really good nucleus of guys coming back. Um, which, you know, for me is, you know, you know, I, for me, I, I feel like when you have good players and they don't get signed, I feel like, you know, yeah. I probably shouldn't do this, but I feel responsible. Yeah. You know, I, mm. I feel like, you know, I need to do a better job of, of either promoting or marketing these guys and, and trying to get them back in affiliated ball because, you know, I, you know, guys that are on our team are guys that I feel like can, can play at the next level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's my job is, is to bring in the, the best of the best. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they come in and they play well and sometimes they come in and they don't play so well and then, Sometimes they don't play well early and play well late, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully we're going to try and get it all right this year, and hopefully put a ring on everybody's finger. Hopefully, there. I mean, hearing that you're bringing back Trey Cochran Gill, just it makes my week because around here <laughs> he, he's one of our favorites. I know, it's, unbel- it's unbelievable, isn't it? That Trey hasn't. I mean, it really is. I mm-hmm. mean, I I don't know what they're looking for. Um, the guy has been as good as anybody as a closer. Anybody. Yeah. Um, how, how that guy has not got another opportunity, I have no idea at all. Yeah, I mean, that's no. the, 
that's how we always pick up on a lot of these relievers is we go ahead and we look through and then we just kind of casually notice, huh, this guy's thrown 20 innings and he's only allowed one run or two runs and Trey was the right. same way. And we were like, how is this guy like still here? And then right. the fact that, uh, admittedly part of the reason we picked up on, it, I was like, Trey Cock and go, this guy's name sounds like a law firm. And so we kind of had that nickname stick from around here to the point where he right, right. picked it up. So yeah, we're, right. we're thrilled to have him. I'm thrilled to have him back so I can keep talking about him, but I wish he would be uh, moving on. So, Yeah, me too, me too. And he's such a great guy. He's such yeah. a good human being, a great teammate. And, you know, I mean, yeah. it, his teammates love him. And, you know, I, it, it's just, you know, it, it just makes me sad. I mean, that, that guy deserves another chance, you know. Yeah. You know, just like a lot of those guys, you know. I mean, how does McCusker not get an opportunity oh, yeah. to go play affiliated ball? I mean, the guy's 6'8". You know, 300 pounds. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we call him Baby Judge. Yeah. Hits the ball as far as anybody. He's athletic, good outfielder, good arm. You would think on just his measurables that he would get an opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, just as, me- as athletic as measurables. But, you know, I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, it is what it is, man. Yeah. You know? That's what I tell my guys. You can only control what you can control. And you can, you can only control what you do on the field and everything else. You just, you just got to hope and pray somebody light goes on and gives you an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. You can only control what you do between the lines and the way you carry yourself, the work ethic, everything we discussed earlier there. And so, uh, you're very generous with your time. I think we still have a few questions left if you got the time for it. So I'm going to let, sure, Will, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. I'm going to let Will jump back in here. Um, just one second here. I know I kind of blue balled him right there, but, uh, I am going to have, I'm going to have <laughs> to, okay, Nick. Uh, I got to have to ask because we have one of the best, uh, collegiate power hitters of all time on the show. Uh, I need to know, like, when you work with, like, guys that typically have a power swing or their kind of hallmark is, you know, hitting for power, basically, is there a certain extra something you can give them just from your experience saying, Hey, you know, this is how I used to do it. Maybe try it this way. Or is it just kind of like generally across, no matter what kind of hitter you have, you try and apply the same things. Well, I I like to watch a hitter uh, for, you know, week or two before I chime in um, and, and evaluate what they do and what they do best. And, What's their strengths and what their what their weaknesses is, and um, and you know once I evaluate them and I'm I'm pretty sure that you know what I'm going to tell them is going to help them. Um, you know, I, you can't do anything with anybody if they don't trust you. Yeah. So um, first you got to you know earn their trust and and then you know uh, once. There'll be a time when they're struggling and they're going to need something, and and you got to have something for them. And you know, for me, um, most of the time, you know, that's usually when they're most receptive. Um, so, uh, do I change guys? Yes, I do. Do I change them right away? No. Um, I let them go out there. I, I try to see how their swing works, see how, how how their swing works, how their timing and rhythm works, and I try to work with them um, and try and add uh, to their swing. I don't try and take things away. So yeah. I've had really good success uh, with players. You know, they're just um, basic fundamentals of uh, just like anything else, you know, fundamentals of a push-up or fundamentals of a jumping jack or, a, you know, there, there's all there's basic fundamentals that have to be in that swing. Now, how you get there. Um, everybody's different, but as long as you get there and get to those basic fundamentals, um, you'll get better. And that's what I try and do. I just try and implement, you know, fundamentally sound stuff that can help them get better, whether they're a power hitter or whether they're not a power hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about getting behind the baseball and squaring baseballs up as many times as you can. So. Yeah. All right. So with that, I'm going to toss it back to Will uh, because I know we uh, we have an interview with your GM in 10 minutes. So I'm going to let Will get anything else. Okay. Yeah. 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 He, when we scheduled it, it got scheduled back to back. So I was like, okay. Uh, but yeah, Will, if you got anything else left to add, uh, I guess uh, I'll throw it to you to toss it in there because I'm sure you have something left to add. 
Sure. Yeah. So the, the, the one question I definitely want to make sure, make sure I ask before, before we wrap up, Pete, is, uh, there's, we've, we've talked a lot about in, in this interview, a lot about the changes and how the, the, how the baseball landscape is changing. And of course, even how at the, at the, at the big league level next year, you're going to see some major, major rule changes. And so, uh, I wanted to ask specifically when you were, when you were managing in Sugarland in 2019 and so many of those rules, like, some of them started halfway through. Some of them started at the beginning of the year. How, uh, how was a manager, and when you're trying to keep your players in, in the loop about all this, how did you uh, kind of uh, manage that uh, with, with all the brand new rules that were kind of just thrown, in, uh, kind of thrown into the fire in that 2019 year? I wanted to ask you about that specifically. Well, I mean, you know, it really doesn't matter what we thought of the rules. They were the rules. So we had to deal with them and, uh, you know, we had to learn how to, you know, I had to learn how to manage and, uh, within, within all those rules, you know, um, um, you know, the players weren't happy about them, but, you know, uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, straight to the point type of guy. I say, look, you may not like them, but we got to play with them. So, you know, let's get after it and let's try and, make these rules work for us, uh, rather than complaining about them like everybody else is. So, you know, uh, like I said, you know, we're not in control of that. And all we can do is just try and be the best players and the best team we can within, within those new rules. And, and they were tough, you know, I mean, I think we ran a little bit more, uh, in the Atlantic league once the pitcher had to detach from the mound and throw to first base. So it allowed us to run a little bit more, you know, per se, a guy who's not a base dealer could steal a base now um, because uh, a pitcher had to detach his foot from the mound. So we ran a little bit more. Um, we were a little bit more of a banging team in, in Sugarland. So, you know, we didn't really agree with, you know, the stealing first thing on a pass ball. Um you know, we, I felt like I didn't want to take the bat out of some of my hitters hands by, yeah. you know, stealing first rather than hitting a double off the wall and driving in a couple runs, you know? So, uh, I think every manager, you know, attacked those rules differently depending on, you know, what kind of ball club you have. So you have to evaluate your ball club and, you know, and know your ball club and, you know, um, implement, uh, the new rules into, you know, uh, you know, having a pitcher having to stay in for three hitters and stuff like that. Um, you know, that didn't really bother me because when I brought a guy in, I felt like I had put him in the best situation to face three hitters. So, um, you know, so you, you just have to know your ball club. You have to know your players and, uh, you know, evaluate those rules and, and try to make them, um, work for you rather than against you. Yeah, so appreciate you giving your giving your uh, your perspective on that, and I was being in the like, in the arena in the fix of that. Uh, I'm sure was was interesting. So I know, uh, I, Nick, that's pretty much all, all I have. Uh, so I know you have anything else you want to ask to wrap it up. I mean, I, I certainly have a lot of questions here, but for the sake of time, I, I think I'm going to have to cut it off here because, uh, like I said, we do have to get ready for the one five minutes from now but uh yeah no problem I, yeah i we appreciate you taking the time to come on pete we really do and like we do on every interview uh we like to give some time at the end for whoever we're talking with to you know say anything he's got to say promote anything they got to promote uh maybe circle back to a topic that we passed on a little too quick or maybe a topic we didn't get to uh, if you have anything like that i mean the floor is yours to do so Wow, that's a broad scope. (laughs) We tried to leave a blank canvas Uh, around here because you never know where it's going to take it. Yeah, well, usually, usually, that usually gets me into trouble. (laughs) I start, uh, it usually gets me into trouble with Matt, Rick, and Doug. So I'm, I'm going to politically pass on all that. Trust me, we've gotten into our own troubles. We've had photographers threaten to sue us for using pictures before, so we've right, right, had our exactly. Own so I could, I could imagine you know, that would come. Yeah, in this day in social media, man, you yeah, know, you got to be careful what you say. Exactly. So. <laughs> I'm a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm a, That's a hard pass for me. <laughs> 
trust me i i get where you're coming from so and when you you talk to matt now just laugh and say thank you (laughs) (laughs) well well, tell him you did him a solid uh yeah tell him tell him i did him a solid Exactly. Uh, definitely will. We definitely want to have you back on when the season gets closer to really get into the nitty gritty of the year. We trust me. We appreciate you taking so much time to out of your day, nearly a full hour to do this. We really do appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Anytime, guys. Once again, we'd really like to thank Pete for coming on the show. We very, very much appreciate him spending the time there. And if we didn't have the interview scheduled with Matt right after, I'm sure we would have went on for another two, three hours. Hell, we probably would have taken up his whole drive to Arizona uh, if we could have. So uh, we are very appreciative of him taking the time to do it. And we're definitely going to try to get him back on again when we get closer to the start of the year because there's definitely going to be an awful lot that uh, we want to talk to him about. We didn't even touch on any of the college accolades. We didn't talk really anything about Major League Baseball with him either. And uh, yeah, overall, it, there's there's still a lot of meat left on that bone, but for only having an hour to be able to uh, take care of that interview, uh, I think it was pretty good. And it's funny, as soon as we got off the phone with Pete, uh, I I went to well. I was like, that went really well, and he's like, yeah, that that was probably my favorite interview we've done. And uh, I mentioned before the interview that we'll talk more about it next week, and I'm certain that we will do that too. But uh, yeah, with once again, thanks Pete for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, and thank you, uh, thanks to Matt Callahan too for setting up both his interview and the the Pete and Cavilli interview as well. I really appreciate it. Uh, Definitely was something that we enjoyed doing an awful, awful lot. So, um, and thanks for that. Uh, on that note, we are, I assume, approaching roughly the hour mark here on the show, which wasn't unusual for us. It is a bit unusual when I'm the only one here to have to do uh, a lot of newscasting and go into a lot of other news. And so for that reason, I'm going to kind of hold off on that for now. We're going to circle back to this news next week. None of it's really overly pressing. The Frederick news is a little bit of uh, of, of interest, I would say. Uh, we got some more clarity on their situation. However, just doing it myself, as you guys are aware of, doesn't really work the same when it's just one person talking endlessly for, you know, hours at a time. It doesn't hold the same weight. And I, I want to make sure when we talk about it that we do it the justice it deserves. So we'll go over Frederick. We're going to go over some news in the Pioneer League, got a new manager, some players, or rather staff, uh, getting opportunities in Major League Baseball too, and a bunch of other stuff uh, will all be discussed next week as well. Uh, so with that, I'm going to kind of just throw it to the plugs here and get out of Dodge. Uh, so with that said, let's get to the plugs and then let's get out of here. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, or just about any major podcatcher will be on there. So be sure to look us up there. If you're just listening to this as a one-off episode, maybe you found the link, maybe someone sent it to you. I don't know how you found it, but if you found it, uh, be sure to click subscribe on your preferred podcast or streaming audio platform or also on Amazon Music too for those that use that. And uh, be sure to, like I said, click follow and stay with us to continue talking and listening to Independent League Baseball. And if you feel so inclined, we'd appreciate you dropping a rating and a review to help us grow and help us continue to get uh, A-list guests like Pete and Cavilia on the show. So. I uh, certainly appreciate that. Likewise, uh, I'm not sure if it was up yet at the time of recording this. I don't think it has been uploaded yet. But if you uh, if you are into YouTube, if you are on you know Podbean or any of those other platforms I just mentioned, 
uh, I jumped on with our good friend Ryan from Indie Ball Nation to talk a little bit about uh, baseball and independent league ball. And, you know, we came in with a plan. We were going to talk about the Atlantic Lake schedule and how, you know, some teams got away with very few to no road trips that were excessively long, i.e. going from Long Island to, say, Lexington. They got out from doing that while others got kind of screwed going uh, on those long road trips. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about my wacky playoff format. I mentioned a couple episodes back, which was the playoff percentage uh, or win number to get in. We were going to talk about the, the thought of doing in-season tournaments, stuff like that. And then it just went way off the rails, as it tends to do when me and Ryan get together and talk. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, you can go over to YouTube, go over to Indie Ball Nation, and the uh, our whole conversation is up right there. And unlike when we throw our podcast up on YouTube, uh, there's actual visuals with that. Uh, our whole uh, a Google Meet chat was recorded and put up for you there. So there's some pretty graphics if you're into that, or if you're just into audio uh, on those audio platforms I mentioned, you know, Podbean, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all of those, uh, they're there too. So once you're done here, head on over there and, and give that a listen and help support him and help us out too. So I think I'm just going to wait on the movie thing for a little bit. I may release it separately somewhere else. I may just tack it on to the end of an episode uh, at another time here, but I don't feel like I'm going to do that now. I'd, I'd rather not have to edit all of that uh, right now. So with that said, uh, nothing else left to add. Until next time, don't forget to play ball.